Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Over 23 years, I developed such a deep love and respect for my NLS patrons, for all the NLS patrons. Do you recognize that voice? If you listen to narrated audiobooks, you just might. We'll be speaking with Martha Harmon Pardee, who has narrated over 3,000 books for the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. We'll talk with her about the process of recording audiobooks, notable moments in her career, and what else she does as a professional voice artist. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Martha Harmon Pardee. The Library of Congress, which is the, you know, umbrella for the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, they have extremely high standards for their work. And I just feel like when you start with that, um, you're going to turn out a better product. And in the show notes associated with this episode, we'll have information on how you can become a patron of the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped if you have a reading disability of any kind and take advantage of their Braille and audiobook services for free. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success. Let's start by meeting Martha and learning about some of the other things she does with her voice besides narrating audiobooks. I'm Martha Harmon Pardee, and I live in Denver, Colorado. We're going to be talking to you about your experiences as a narrator of audiobooks, but I understand you do other things as well. I do. I do other things as well. And right now I'm doing a lot of other things. Um, I am currently directing two productions of Peter Pan for a group called Kids Stage. I'm working at a Friends Ballet Academy, helping her to open a music academy there as well for private music lessons and voice lessons. And eventually I will be coaching acting there, which is another thing I do. I'm an actor, professional actor, have been in Denver for the last 28 or so years. And that's how we met you. And that's the... how we met, at a lighthearted little romp. <laughs> she was the mother of an extremely dysfunctional family. I understand from her bio that she's also portrayed Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and Martha had nothing on this woman. No, that was a walk in the park compared to what I'm doing now. Another job that I have right now is I'm what's called a standardized patient at St. Anthony's Pre-Hospital Services, and I work with helping to train EMTs, so I act like a patient. And in the last couple sessions, when I've sort of stripped down to my bicycle shorts, as they ask us to do, they've seen 
bruises all over my legs and I can see them look at each other and then look at me and I just say, it's just from the play I'm in right now. (laughs) And they say, what's the play about? And I say, suffice it to say, this is a family that you as EMTs have probably gotten to know fairly well (laughs) from house calls. (laughs) So I do that standardized patient work. And I'm also a care actor, which means I work with Kaiser Permanente doctors and support staff to help them improve their quote-unquote bedside manner and employ empathy and listening skills to better their relationships with their patients and with their coworkers. So I've got a lot of irons in a lot of fires. My favorite iron is mother, but they both abandoned me for college. They don't love me. They think it's important to get a college education rather than to stay home with their mother. (laughs) No, I'm thrilled for them both. So if you thought that being a voiceover artist was all you could do with your voice, there's a whole lot more options out there. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. About four and a half years ago, we did an episode of Eyes on Success where we spoke with Yolande Bavan, who also has narrated many books for the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. And that was episode 1247. But this week, we'll be talking with Martha about her experiences as an audiobook narrator. So today we wanted to talk to you mostly about your experiences as a reader for Mm -hmm. the National Library Service Talking Book Program. How did you first get involved in that? I first got involved in it through... Eric Sandvold, who a lot of people will know about. We were dating, and he kept talking about this job he had that I had never heard of before. And he'd also say, you should really make an audition tape, which I thought at first was the equivalent of come up and see my etchings. I thought it was just sort of a come on line. But then I visited him at the studio, and the studio head at the time said, you need to make an audition tape because I have a low register. So I did. And finally got a call to come in and to see if I wanted to be a monitor. In other words, the sort of tech person, tech support that works with the narrator, pushes play, pushes record, says, I just heard your stomach grumble, or you said gigantic instead of enormous there. And, you know, the person that works along with the reader while the reader is recording. Then I got hired as a monitor, and the woman that had taken over was very stern and said, now this doesn't mean you'll ever be a reader just because you auditioned and I said I understand that and fortunately once my audition was finally submitted they okayed me. I know you've read an enormous number of books. Yeah. What is the tally up to? My great wonderful dear friend Donna Grauman in Texas she keeps me posted and the last count she had 3,200 so I believe her. Now, I understand you've been doing this for over 23 years, but still 3,200 books. It almost sounds impossible to read that number of books. How do you get that done? Well, I worked 8.30 to 5, five days a week. I guess the reason that they kept me on as long as they did when they did was I have a very high production rate. In other words, my per hour minutes are 
markedly higher than some people's. Isn't that a strain on your voice? That's an awful lot of reading per it day. It is a lot of reading, but you know, I don't have to project. Just like right now, I'm not having to project. Mm-hmm. So a lot of water drinking, especially in the Mile High City. It's dehydration city. You know, quite frankly, it's more um, of a mental exhaustion that I would feel at the end of the day, because we cold read everything. We don't pre-read anything. We finish one book and we're handed the next book. And so you're sort of a detective. And you, I developed sort of a sixth sense about what characters should sound like. So it's, it's, I think it was more mentally taxing than vocally taxing. So that raises an interesting question, yeah. and one I've often wondered yeah. about. The readers put on different voices for the different yeah. characters yeah. in the book. Yeah. And you said that you don't pre-read the books. Right. So you have to develop voices on the fly. Yeah. And some of these books have dozens of characters. Yes, they how do. How do you make sure you get a good voice, and then how do you keep it straight? Well, it's a hard thing to do. And I said that's when this weird sixth sense comes in. And sometimes you're really wrong, and sometimes you hit it right on the head. And then I don't, sometimes I wonder if writers read their own work because... You know, I've had it happen where I'm reading and I've chosen a voice for a character and on page 270, all of a sudden the writer will state, he said with his heavy Irish brogue, and at that point I'm like, no, he didn't. No, if you're going to tell me on page 270, Uh I might sort of start to introduce it, but there was a time and there are still some of the older patrons who I get the great pleasure of meeting when I speak at conferences. There was a time when they didn't want you to do any voices at all. Oh, just read it straight. Just read it straight because they wanted that opportunity to to place the own voice that they heard onto the character. Mm-hmm. So I've been burned, but my trick for doing it was I would, in my mind, cast that character. I would see that character. Sometimes it would be like a a movie star that we would all know. And I wouldn't try to sound like that movie star necessarily, but that was the type. So I would cast the book, so to speak, in my head and that helps me to keep it consistent as well. And sometimes I had to make notes. But without reading it ahead of time. I know. You, you might just... not find out until 100 or 200 pages in that someone's a bad guy instead of a good guy. Right. And, you know, the, the way that to, can be dealt with is we know that bad guys and good guys come in all shapes and sizes and forms. And usually the writer will give you some help up front. Mm-hmm. And I can tell within the first two paragraphs if I'm going to get along with this writer or not. And you must know something about the book ahead of time, though, about what the plot is and the main characters. We get the plot, not the main characters. We'll get, just like um, when you're listening to an NLS book, um, Library of Congress Annotation. Oh, yes. And we read that annotation, and that's all we know. Mm-hmm. How about pronunciation of names, places? At Talking Books in Denver, they have a now shrinking research department that will... And I've done this job myself. We go through and we highlight words. Not the reader that's going to read that book doesn't do it. It's a separate department, but I did it just to pick up some extra dollars at home. We would go through and highlight proper names, place names, what I call SAT words, words that are, you know, not probably going to be in someone's vernacular. Mm -hmm. And then a pronouncer is produced, and the pronouncer has the word, and then the diacriticals, which is long I, short I, There's where the stress is on that syllable. And then the source of that. And the Library of Congress is very specific about what sources we can use. Webster's, Random House. Mm -hmm. 
So you said that you started out as a monitor, and I'm yeah. wondering if you can quickly give us an overview of what the whole process involves sure. that we may not know about. Sure. So you show up at work, and you're assigned to a reader. It changes every day. Um, there's two. There's three shifts a day from 8.30 to 5. There's two there, and then there's a 5.30 to 9.30 shift. When I started, you'd get the station ready by getting that reel-to-reel studer set up with that tape and those little razor blades and that blue sticky tape in case you had to... There's no digital. You don't get to go back. you got to cut out stuff. Well, you edited the tape with scissors back then. Yeah, razor blades. Wow. Um, And so that's why when the monitors would complain these days, I'd be like, well, when I was a monitor. (laughs) So we sit and, and, and then the reader begins to read. And, you know, as the monitor, I would as I said, make sure that they were reading exactly, exactly what was on the page, which is the only way the Library of Congress will allow you to do it. And we're catching all of the pronunciations. Sometimes some readers like to stop and take a minute. Others can do it on the fly, depending on years of experience and just general competency. So then once we would finish roughly 90-minute sides... And I would say, and this is, you know, as disproven as it is proven, but I would say the average book has five 90-minute sides to it. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are ones that are much longer, and there are ones that are shorter. But that's sort of the average length, five 90-minute sides. Right. Those are the days of the old cassettes. No, this is, I'm talking about now, the 90-minute thing stood for the reel-to-reels and now even for digital cassettes, even though... It's just a theoretical thing now for digital cassettes. It's more for the auditors, which is where what we have created, where the monitor and the narrator has created a product. Then it is audited end-to-end by another person. Then I get back corrections, things that I missed and I'm, then the monitor missed. One of my biggest ones, if they said, okay, the sentence is, I'll see you in a moment. I said, I said minute, didn't I? I always would flip-flop minute and moment. <laughs> and, you know, unless the monitor is really paying attention, you let something like that will go by because it means the same thing. That's but tough to catch. Something that's not like okay that. for the Library of Congress, which is good. And then there's a QCer who listens to the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes of the side because at some point research was done. And again, this was back in the days of tape, so I don't know, that the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes of the side are listened to at normal speed, and oftentimes blind patrons like to listen to it at an accelerated speed, which was sort of heartbreaking, because here I am trying to put all this nuance into my voice, and I find out that I'm going to sound like this no matter what, because this is like... It also took some of the pressure off, so that was okay, too. <laughs> oh, but the, the modern players... You don't come out sounding like Mickey Mouse. They you can be going lickety split, right? But, but they at least can your speed pitch it up. Stays correct. Oh, really? Yes. They these can speed these it days up? it does. In the old Sam. days, when I sped things up, you you, you heard that Mickey Mini, Mouse right. voice. These days, with the digital um, playback systems, it wow. maintains the same pitch. Well, so that's good you to really know. Do hear the different voices, good. And intonations, and good. stuff. So you should feel better. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you did actually make me just feel better. So before we started talking with you, yeah. you indicated that you had some interesting stories to tell us of times you were recording <laughs> books. Maybe you'd like to share those with our listeners. I would be happy to. The most interesting, and I think I think I hold this um, this accomplishment as the only reader that this has happened to in the NLS, was it was a it was a snowy night in January, very snowy, blizzardy night, 
And um, as I said, there are three shifts. And when I was expecting, Eric and I were expecting, we were married at that point. And I was reading, of all things, a book about the O.J. Simpson trial and all that. And, you know, you hear so much about how good it is to read to baby when they're in the womb. Well, I hope it's just for tone of voice and not content because (laughs) I really didn't want this. I didn't know if it was a girl or a boy to be having some of their first information be about the killing of Nicole Brown Simpson. Anyway, I had never had a baby before, but I had a strong suspicion that something was going wrong. Oh, and I was working the night shift because I wasn't able to sleep at night. So it was nice. I would come in for the afternoon and night shift, and that would be my eight-hour day. I actually took maternity leave, and then I was too bored, so I came back to work. (laughs) So I'm reading this graphic, graphic book, nonfiction, and it occurred to me that something was happening. Eric was also reading in the booth next door. So I stopped and I just said to my monitor, I don't feel great, so I think I need to go. So this is such an Eric Sandvold move. I went to the next booth where he was recording and was stood by his monitor, who was on this side of the, you know, double-paned glass, and kind of waved to him to stop. And he stopped, and I said, Eric, I think I'm pretty sure I'm in labor. I think I need to go. And the monitor put it up, the speaker on so I could hear Eric, and Eric said, oh, really? Okay, great. Let me just finish this chapter, and then we can leave. <laughs> we have a co-worker who did the same thing. The secretary barged into a meeting and said, no, Bill, your wife just called. She's in labor. You need to go home. He says, sure. As soon as I'm done with my presentation, the secretary dragged him out. Yeah. But it, it didn't end there in that he finally stopped. And as I said, it was really snowing. It was January 30th. And I don't know, he got out to the car first to probably clean it off and everything. I finally waddle out there. And sitting in the back seat is Eric's monitor, who he's offered a ride home to. (laughs) (laughs) But all's well that ends well. Adelaide is now a junior in college and thriving and But yeah, that was a kind of an odd um, moment at work for me. (laughs) (laughs) So out of the thousands of books you've read, do you have some that are favorites or? I do. I do. Um, And they're favorites partially because I remember them, but they're favorites because they are so original. I appreciate romance novels and the uh, escape they give to people but I probably have read about 2,000 of them. And they're kind of the same story again and again, with some exceptions. (laughs) There have been some books that have stuck with me and that I have recommended. One of them that I just think is one of the most glorious books ever written is called The Little Book, and it's by Selden Edwards. And it's just this magnificent fiction book. It's got some sort of supernatural stuff to it, but it's very straightforward. I highly recommend it. I loved The Post-Birthday World by a woman named Lionel Shriver. I thought it was a man until I read her bio. And that's cool because the first chapter sets the story up and then every other chapter is either a white chapter or a black chapter. And I think we did a reader's note to indicate that. And the white chapter was if at the end of that first chapter the main characters had made this decision 
and it plays out through their lives. And the black chapters were if at the end of that first chapter the characters had made that decision. Oh, interesting. And it, plays, it was really beautifully written. Mm-hmm. Loved that. Loved Ahab's Wife by Sina Jeter Nasland. Mm-hmm. I would crawl over broken glass to read and narrate anything by Anne Lamott. She's one of my favorite writers. She writes about spirituality and writing. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of hers. Do you get to choose your books no. at all? No. Can you say no to some? Yeah, and then they'll find another reader to take your place. Bye-bye. I see. So you read what's given to you, You basically. read what's given to you if you know what's good for you. What was the book you had the toughest time reading that may have been presented the most difficulties for you? Oh, boy. Oh, golly gosh. I can think of a couple, but I can't think of the exact name of it. It might have just been Bones. It was an archaeological nonfiction about caves, cave paintings, bones, you know, really really ancient excavations with pages of Latin terminology. (laughs) That must have been difficult. Mamma mia, it was just grueling. And quite frankly, a simple quote-unquote fiction book that's poorly written where the author doesn't tell you who's speaking. So if there's a conversation with five people, you literally have to count. Okay, if that person says that, then that person probably said that, then that person said... You know, you don't get any help said so-and-so, said so-and-so. Right, right. So poorly written books are really hard to read, mm-hmm. even if they're quote-unquote easy. They're hard to listen to also. If well, then don't, I say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. As I said, I can tell within... A couple paragraphs if the, if the author and I are going to have a good relationship. But you'll finish the book anyway. Well, I don't have any choice at work. <laughs> at home, maybe I'll just push it to the side. I've had ones that I didn't want to go into finish because I loved the book so much. And I, had, I was sobbing and had to keep leaving. The, I couldn't do that. Ahab's, <clears throat> Ahab's Wife by Sina G. Ahab's Wife by Sina Jeanard Haslin, read by Martha Harmon Brand. <laughs> My monitor's like, pull it together. <laughs> it was such a gorgeous book. So it seems to me that there's been a lot of changes in NLS and how they make books these days. You're They're right. engaging in doing a lot more commercial books these days, I guess because they can more quickly get books and they don't have to line up readers. I wonder if you had any comments about some of the changes that have been Well, I don't know that much about it, but I can tell you it breaks my heart that they're using commercially produced books and not the NLS reader books. And I understand why, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to try to compete with Meryl Streep. But being an NLS narrator... It's a family. It's a culture. We, we do things a certain way, and we take pride in, in that being our line of work. It's not an add-on. It's not an also. It's not a, oh, I'm really famous, so now I can... I'm not trying to badmouth celebrities that do this, but one thing is true. Just because you're a, an accomplished actor does not mean you're going to be a good narrator, and we've seen that happen at our studio. It's a different art form. It's a completely different performance art form. Mm-hmm. One thing we haven't mentioned yet is to congratulate you on the number of awards that you've received as a narrator, oh, including the Scorby Award from the American Foundation for the Blind um, as the best narrator of the year. And that's just such a big deal. They have so many narrators. That was amazing. 
I also have the dubious privilege of being the last winner of the Alexander Scorpio Award because they discontinued. Oh, um, gee. Well, I think that was um, the, the studio that, that supported it in New York folded, so mm-hmm. it went away. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Eric's won two. I only won one. <laughs> I won it for a book that was amazing. The Crimson and the White, I think it is. Beautiful book. Beautiful book. Hmm. Loved it. The real question is, do you have time to read books on your own for fun? Or I does do. all your reading get done? No, I do because I love to read. My maternal grandmother was a librarian, and we were given the most beautiful books from birth on. I get to pick my own books when I'm reading. So, yeah, I do. And it's also, a, I find it to be a very effective sleeping pill. <laughs> I start reading and I'm out. <laughs> I have to watch out for that when I read books. I've learned not to read them horizontally. It was funny when I went to, I was very, very privileged to be the only speaker, the only narrator asked to speak at the 80th anniversary of the Pratt-Smoot bill, which was, you know, what the bill that passed that all reading material should be available to everybody, Braille, recorded books, etc. And so they invited me. I flew out to Washington, D.C. And, and spoke. And the man before me was so funny, he said, um, something to the effect of, I bet, you know, more people have taken Martha Harmon Pardee to bed than anybody other. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was a distinction right. you could live without. I had prepared my remarks, you know, but the first thing I said when I got up there was, well, no wonder I'm so exhausted all the time. <laughs> if I'm spending all my days going to bed with all these different people. Oh, but geez. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item. First, Martha had some words that we would like to share with you, and then we'll give you information on how to reach Martha and how to obtain audiobooks that she narrated for the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. So is there anything we missed that you'd like to... I mean, really, this is probably the most important thing I have to say. Over 23 years, I developed such a deep love and respect for my NLS patrons, for all the NLS patrons. And when I recently went through a really difficult period, was supported by them as if they were family. And they feel like family. And I love them. I love the NLS patrons. Deeply. Well, I know many NLS patrons have loved listening to you and feel the same way. Good to know. So we actually turned off the recorder before we caught this, but Martha indicated to us that if you wanted to contact her, you could send her email at marharpar at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-H-A-R-P-A-R at gmail.com. Also, if you want to sign up to become a patron of the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped in order to receive audiobooks like the ones she reads and also Braille material free of charge, we'll have information about that in our show notes associated with this episode. And those show notes can be found at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You know, audiobooks are real important, and I certainly enjoy listening to them. If you want to find more information about audiobooks and how to read them, what's available, etc., just put the term reading or audiobook into the search field on our website. 
That's it for show number 2217. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about conditions for the blind in Iran. Ali Asghar Asadi is a blind teacher of blind and visually impaired students in Iran. We'll talk with him about conditions for the blind in Iran, including the challenges of acquiring assistive technologies, how legal protections for the disabled are evolving, employment opportunities for the blind, and much more. And we are honored to learn that he uses episodes of Eyes on Success to teach English to his Iranian students. Sometimes we take these accessibility concerns for granted in this country. And if you want to hear about how these things work in other countries, you'll want to tune into next week's show. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.